Welcome to the Milestone Church Podcast. Whether you are at home, on the road, or at work, we hope you find this message encouraging and helpful for your life. You can watch other messages just like this one on our website at milestonechurch.com slash messages. Once again, we want to welcome you to Milestone Church. I want to welcome those of you at our Hazlitt campus, our McKinney campus, those of you watching online, or maybe those of you watching on by video later. Would you join me in welcoming them? Good to have you guys with us. I do want to say to those of you watching online, I hope at some point during the Christmas season you'll come in and join us at per, in person at one of our campuses. We'd love to be able to meet you and host you. Well, I hope wherever you're at and however you're watching, you had a great Thanksgiving. I was thinking this week, Thanksgiving changes over the years, right? If you can remember all the way back to when you were a kid and you were at the kids' table, you're just thinking, one day maybe I'll get to sit at the adult table. Our house is different now. Our, our kids' table is all teenagers, which is a different experience. I remember in my 20s and 30s, Thanksgiving used to mean the Turkey Bowl, a very competitive football game where somebody, where the winner and the loser would be celebrated for the next year. There would be weeping and gnashing of teeth, a lot of competition, a lot of people getting in the flesh. It was great to look forward to the turkey bowl every year. I'm not in my 20s and 30s anymore, but I am still competitive. So this year, you know, sometimes I've done a turkey trot or different things. This year I wanted to feel good about myself and eat whatever I wanted to. So uh, I decided to do a bike race, uh, you know, that right there on the screen with the, I think about 300 of us got on there for an hour. And and uh, I like racing people, and so there's this fun little thing that you can encourage people by giving them a high five. I like to wait till I pass them, and then I give a high five. And um, so in about an hour, I went about 22 miles, and we're getting to the end, and I was like, okay, I'm going to finish top 10. I might finish top five, and so I was feeling powerful until at the last second, somebody starts storming up the leaderboard, and I was like, this person's amazing. And then I looked at their username. Their username was still pedaling at 79. Whoever you are, I salute you. You are, they flew past me. And so I went from feeling great to like, man, I got a lot of work to do. And so wherever you're at, you know, it's not about racing. It's not just about eating. It's about being grateful. And so I hope at some point at, during your day or during your week, you had the opportunity to be grateful. Recent research at Calvin College showed a big discrepancy between people who are occasionally remember to be grateful and people who have a grateful disposition. People who have a grateful disposition, they, they, they approach it as a way of life. They're not needing outside reminders to be grateful. They're like, you know what? All that I have in my life is a gift. And what this research found is these people are healthier. They have greater mental health. They have greater physical health. They have greater, more intense feelings of gratitude. They have it more frequently. They're grateful for a variety of more things. And they're grateful for more people by just saying, my desire is to be grateful. And I want to thank you. This is not corrective because you, as the people of Milestone Church here at Keller, they're in McKinney, they're in Hazlitt. Hazlitt, those of you watching online, you're grateful not just on this one day, not just during this week, but you're grateful throughout the whole, whole year as you serve and you do generous things in your community. You're making an impact. Well, we've been in this series, The Good Steward, where we're talking about not just being grateful, but being good stewards. Being faithful with what God has entrusted to us. If you've missed the series, it's okay. You could go back and watch along. I'll just give you a quick review. Here's what the Bible says. When the Bible talks about how do you handle resources, how do you handle money, what is God's? You're like, should we talk about that in church? Well, here's the thing. We love you and we care about you and we want your life to go well. 
And how we handle our resources, how we handle our money has a big deal in how we feel about ourselves, how we view God, how we treat our spouse, how we treat the people we work with. So the Bible has a lot to say about this. The first thing the Bible says is God owns it all. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything, if you're wondering, in the Hebrew it means everything. Every single thing belongs to him. He is the owner, he is pre-existent, he is eternal, he is creator, it's all his and it's helpful for us to remember that. The second thing is, there are a lot of opinions about money. You grew up in a family that had opinions about money. You probably have people that you work with. Maybe you have a financial advisor. You, you get commentary on the news or, or in books or podcasts about what, do we, what, we, what should we do and what is money for. And this is a reminder that God's voice should be the first voice we listen to. The third thing that we've learned in the series about what the Bible says about money is there's this connection. See, God doesn't need anything. He doesn't need your money or my money, even though it's his all along. He cares about it because there's this connection between our treasure and our hearts. Jesus talked about it a lot. Jesus would say, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There's this connection between those two things. If you were to look at any of our personal financial budgets, you'd not only find out where our money goes, you'd find out where our hearts are. And then the last thing that we've been talking about when the Bible talks about money is the starting place is the tithe. Now, that might be an unfamiliar word to you. Maybe you've never heard of that. Tithe just simply means tenth. And remember, the Bible was written in an agricultural world. So what that meant was there were all these peoples, these tribal nomadic peoples, and all of them probably ate one meal a day, and all of their economies were dependent upon what would grow from the ground. And so they would do all kinds of things to try to appease whatever they thought the gods were. They would try to do, you know, to try to bring the rain, to try to make the crops grow, because everything in their lives was dependent upon that. And God's people, the people of Israel, his people, they would say, we know that everything we have comes from God. And so when the harvest came in, as a reminder for their hearts and for the people of God uh, to to remember the faithfulness of God, they would take that first 10% and they would say, this is holy, and they would give it to the Lord. And they would say, Lord, we know everything that we have is a gift from you. So we're not in an agricultural world anymore, at least in our context but we are still needing to remember that everything we have is a gift from God. You might be like, well, Jed, is that a hidden cost? Is that like in the fine print? No, it's right there. It's all throughout. It's, and it's not a legal thing. It's not a law. It's not like you have to. I think sometimes we get it wrong when we get fixated or we think about that. It made me think about this this week. I don't know if you remember or, uh, what television was like in the 80s. I was a kid in the 80s. And when you got sick and you stayed home from school, and you turned on the TV, we didn't have streaming options like they have today. You couldn't watch any movie ever or any TV show in the history of entertainment. You could probably watch, if you slept in late, you're gonna watch soap operas. If you got up early enough, you got to watch game shows. Anybody remember game shows? I remember my favorite game show was The Price is Right with Bob Barker. He had that long, skinny mic. Remember Bob? And he would say, he'd get you to bid on stuff on the actual retail price, and you'd be like, I wonder what would happen if I ever went on The Price is Right and spun the wheel. Well, I went, to co- I went to college in Southern California, and I had friends who went on The Price is Right, and they actually won the Showcase Showdown. I was like, how was it? They're like, well, it was a lot of fun, and they call your name, and you come down, and people cheer for you, and you bid on these things, and you get all these prizes, and that part was great. I was like, well, what's the not-so-great part? Well, it's like, what you didn't know is when you won all those prizes that you didn't pick, 
not too, li- not too much later in the mail, you got a bill. I was like, what do you mean? Yeah, you got taxed on all the stuff you won. I was like, what percentage tax? They're like, 46%. So you won all the stuff you didn't want, and you got a bill from the government. Uncle Sam said, congratulations. Now pay us 46% on what you owe. And I think sometimes that's a hidden cost. Sometimes people think, is that what the tithe is? No, the tithe is a cue, it's a reminder. Anything that we prioritize that we wanna do, if you wanna make a habit, if you wanna make a discipline, if you wanna make a routine in your life, you need a reminder. We wear devices that say you need to get steps to get to 10,000 steps. You need to go to bed in order to get your sleep. Anything you wanna make consistent, you make a reminder. So the tithe is not a law, it's a reminder to remember that everything that you have is a gift from God. This week, as we finish up the series, We're going to talk about what does it mean to be blessed because God has very specific blessings for good stewards. God's not looking for a reason to hold out on you. He wants to bless you. If you missed, like I said, any of the rest of the series, we talked about how good stewards, you're like, what is that? Well, steward is a term that just means a manager, someone who's entrusted with things. A good steward honors God with their finances. A good steward has a practical plan. They, they, have a, they don't just hope something turns out. They go, this is my plan to honor God with what he's been giving me. I, I heard about James this week. James took our financial foundations class, and James was really excited because during the course of the class, he and his family paid off $10,000 in consumer debt. They were able to trade in one of their cars that had a payment, and, and from the money that they traded in, about 40000 on that, they bought cars for cash, they downsized, they were able to save, and through the process of saving after taking the class, they were able to close on their very first house. It takes a practical plan. God's into that. God's into you having a plan and being a good steward. We talked also about how in the course of this series, we want to be generous. Good stewards live generously. They look, they devise for ways to be generous. And then finally, we talked about today, we're going to talk about how a good steward experiences the blessings of God. We're going to give you an opportunity. We're actually in an opportunity right now. We're having an end-of-year impact giving offering. It's not one single offering. It's happening now through the end of the year. And there's all kinds of things that we have as we look forward to to the new year, all kinds of ways to, to, to help schools in our area, to help single moms and widows, to help with campus expansion, to help reach students in the next generation. We have all these ways, and we know you guys are excited and looking for opportunities. So between now and the end of the year, you can give through our offering envelopes that are online. You could just say, man, as I come to the end of the year, God's been faithful to me, so I want to generously give, and we're going to see together what God does through this time as we say, God, we're going to trust you with what you've entrusted to us because we love you. I love this idea that God wants to bless you. It's all throughout the whole Bible. You're like, Jed, when does it first show up? Maybe one of the first places it shows up is Genesis 12, God comes to a man named Abraham, and he basically tells him, you're going to be my man, and I'm going to be your God, and through you, all the entire earth is going to be impacted and blessed. In fact, I'm going to bless you so that through you, every person on earth can be blessed. That's essentially what Genesis 12, too. You're like, well, that's great for Abraham. What does that have to do with us? Well, maybe you see there, Romans 4, 16 says, all those who are the faith of Abraham are his children, his descendants. What that means is every promise that God made to Abraham, if you're of the same faith of Abraham, that promise comes to you. 
God wants to bless you, not just so that your life is good, not just so that you're happy, not that he's against your happiness, but he wants to bless you so that you can in turn be a blessing. This is how God works. He blesses us to be a blessing. So the question may be, you're like, okay, Jed, well, that's great, but what does it actually mean to be blessed? Well, actually, the Hebrew word literally to be blessed or blessing means God puts his hand on you. Maybe you've seen someone in a prayer time or maybe you've, you've heard about stretch out your hand or put your hand on them as a blessing. Well, putting your hand on someone and praying a blessing is like saying blessing, blessing. It's like chai tea. Chai is tea, so that's like saying tea, tea or nan bread. It's like that is bread. It's like bread, bread. Putting your hand on someone and blessing is blessing, blessing. You could say it's a double blessing. God wants to put his hand on the things that are happening in your life. It's a promise. It's bigger than money. What would happen if God touched every part of your life? What if he touched your work life? What if he touched that presentation? What if he touched that deal that you're praying for? What if he touched that, that relationship with your spouse? What if he touched that conversation you know you needed to have with your, with your teenager? What if he touched that thing that you've been staying up at night wondering and anxious, what am I going to do? What if God's hand of perfect blessing touched that? That's what he wants for your life. It's holistic. It's so much bigger than money. It's amazing how when we think about our lives and what it means to grow and to get better, all of us want to be generous. It's not like the Bible is the only place. I do a lot of reading. I'm into personal development. I'm into like growth and all kinds of things. I, I read a lot of, uh, of, of books from psychologists and, and professors and, and, and business leaders. And there's a real theme right now of like, you should be generous. You should give. You should go beyond yourself. You should live for more than just you. The people talking about there's a second mountain, David Brooks. There's a guy named Arthur C. Brooks who's talking about how you live from strength to strength and real fulfillment in life comes for living from someone other than yourself. And you see this pattern. And I was even this last couple of weeks listening to an audio book from someone you might remember, also from the 80s former governor and terminator, Arnold Schwarzenegger. And he was talking about how to have the best life possible. And he was saying, and of course you have to listen to the audiobook. And so here's my best version. He was saying in the audiobook, Hazlitt McKinney, are you ready for this? You should be generous. <laughs> I was like, okay, Arnold. I was like, get to the chopper. You should be generous. I'll be back. He said all that stuff in the book. And his point was like, people who are generous live better lives, they're healthier, they're more fulfilled. But it's not just generous out of willpower, it's not just generous out of, out of obligation. People who are followers of Christ are generous because they know they serve a generous God and we never look more like God than when we're generous. Jesus looks at our lives and he's like, he, he literally says this, it wasn't Santa Claus. Paul quotes Jesus in the book of Acts and says, it's better to give than to receive. That's Jesus' heart for you and I. So as we finish this Good Steward series, I want to take us back to a good, a good Steward passage here in Matthew chapter 25. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 25, he's coming to the end of his teaching. He's been talking about the end and when things are going to wrap up and when he's going to come back and no one knows the date or the hour. And in the midst of that, he gives a very important teaching because I think he wants us to think about it this way. One of the translations says, do business this way until I return. You're like, most people want to know, what's God's will for my life? What does God want from me? Well, this is a great picture 
of what he wants. He used this setup that we're about to read over and over multiple times to describe what our lives are like. Look what he says here in Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 14. Again, you're like, why does it say again? Because he's saying it again. This is about the fourth or fifth place where Jesus gives us a parable that sounds like this. It'll be like a man who goes on a journey, who calls his servants and entrusts his wealth to them. Look at what it says, verse 15. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. It doesn't say he looked at his servants and said, what can you do for me? It doesn't say he looked at his servants and if you try really hard and in your willpower be a self-made man or woman, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It doesn't say any of those things. It said to the servants, he gave some five, he gave some two, and he gave one one. Now you're like, why did he do that? Why does some give some and some gives others? Well, you could take it up with him. He, he does what he does. And he gives what he gives, not so that we'll check out what everyone else is doing, but we can think about what did he give me and what has he entrusted to me. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and he put his money to work. He gained five bags more, so also the one with two bags of gold gained two bags more. But the one who had received one bag went off. He dug a hole in the ground and he hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned. He settled the accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Look what this says. This is where I want to key in on. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. For the sake of time, I'll tell you how the rest of the passage ends. The man with two bags gets the same thing. Well done, good and faithful servant. There's no distinction. You were faithful with what I gave you. Both of them celebrated. Both of them entrusted with more. Both of them invited to share in his master's joy or his happiness. But the one guy who had one, who was afraid, who hid it, even what he had was taken from him and he was dismissed. You're like, what, what does this mean, Jed? What is, what is God trying to say to us through this passage? Well, there's a lot of things that he's saying. He's saying, I want you to think about what I've given you, and I want you to take it, and I want you to not just hide it. I don't want you to just consume it yourself, but I want you to give it. I want you to put it to work so that it can make more. And I want us to look at, I got a couple different versions because I want us to see this, verse 21. The NIV says, come and share your master's happiness. Think about that. He invites us into his happiness, into his joy. Do you ever think about the fact that God has no need, no worry, no anxiety? That's so hard for us to relate to. His joy is eternal, it's abundant, it's never ending. He never has a bad day. He, he, he never has a down time. And he has the joy and that happiness available for all of us. And I know, maybe you can relate to this, we're trying to find that joy in so many different places. We all want it. And we all think, if I get a little bit further, if I can achieve this, if I can get to this place, if I can experience that, when all the while, we have this loving, faithful God who says, I have all the joy you'll ever need. All I'm asking you is to do it my way, and you'll experience it with me. Look at what the ESV says. Enter into the joy of your master. 
The message says, good work, you did your job well. From now on, be my partner. The New Living and the Common English both say, let's celebrate together. You're like, Jed, what does this mean? What are you trying to say? Well, I like to think about it like this. God wants to bless you. He wants to put his hand on what you're doing, but the way that that happens is it only works his way. I don't know if you've tried it other ways. I have. I'm on a journey. And I'd like to be able to tell you that I'm done. I'm not. I'm growing in this journey with you. Understanding what it means to be a faithful steward, to be a good steward, to, to take what God's given me and to put it to work so that he'll make more for his kingdom so that I can enter into his joy. And, and, and this has been a long journey that's taken me through a bunch of different roads. You know, we, we've been here as part of the Milestone family for more than 15 years now, but before that, when I went to college, I had a dream to become a sports writer. I, I know it's real profound. I love sports and I like to write, so I was like, why don't I do that? And God, as generous and gracious as he is, he offered me this dream job because he wasn't going to twist my arm to go into ministry, but, but he, he offered it as an opportunity, so I said, okay, God, I'll do it. Now, when I first went into ministry, I was like, God, please, the only thing I'm asking is don't make me do college campus ministry because college students are difficult, and I've spent the last few years around them, and I'd really like a break. And he said, you know what, Jed, I'll take that under consideration, but I got a plan for you. I want you to do campus ministry. I said, thank you, Jesus. And, and not just campus ministry, but when we first started, when my wife and I first started, we got married. I was 22. She was 20. We had just graduated from college. We turned down this job that had a great salary to go into ministry, but this wasn't ministry where you get like a salary from a church. This was ministry where it's like you take a year of your life and it's really hard and you learn principles and you raise support like a, like a missionary. So you go to people and you meet with them and you experience a lot of no's because you're like, hey, have you ever thought about reaching college students? And they say, no, would you like to? They're like, not really. And so you're like, well, God bless your ministry. And so you, you find someone else and you say like, God has a desire and a vision to reach young people. And did you know 95% of the people who give their lives to Christ do so before the age of 25? We have this little window and the impact you can make in reaching college students. It's actually been proven for hundreds of years making an impact reaching college students. And they're like, wow, I never knew that. That's amazing. And yes, I'd love to partner with you. And I remember one time talking with someone about it, and they're like, they were asking me about it, and they're like, so how does it work? And we just give each month, and that's how you make your living? And I was like, yes. And I was like, you just make your check. And when we make our, our check, they're like, what do you mean? You do this full time, but you, you write checks? Do you write checks to yourself? I was like, no. There's, I, we have friends who are, who are missionaries at other places, and, and so we support them. They're like, wait a minute. You get your living off support, but you support other people? And I told them, I was like, I wouldn't ask someone else to do something that I wouldn't be willing to do myself. And he was like, wow, I never thought of it that way. But that's really the, the message of Scripture. We, we grow in our generosity. We're faithful with what gives us, with, with, with what God gives us in the place that we're at. Maybe you're new to the milestone environment, and you're like, man, this place is friendly, and, and man, this place is, it, it, they're thinking about people who aren't here, and they're always telling us to invite our friends, and they're giving us yard signs, and all of that is true because we place a really high priority. We believe God asked us to, to take those five bags and to make five more, and there's no better way to make five more than to reach five people who are far from him. Because every time you see the Bible talk about money, money is only a tool. God cares about money because it's a tool that trains our hearts. But what God really cares about is people. And how we treat money is a picture of how in our hearts we treat people. He wants us to learn on money so that we'll love and we'll serve and we'll reach 
people and we don't ever want to lose that as a family as we grow and as our space grows and we grow to more campuses it's not just friendly it's sacrificial God will give sacrificially because we love people and we want to see people who are far from God come home to a saving relationship with you we can't lose that this is who God's called us to be we're just one small part in the body of Christ, but this is fundamental. And so now at this point, we're no longer raising support, but we're growing in our generosity. So when my wife and I come to moments when it's like, okay, there's a, a big offering and there's a moment, we're like, God, what do you ask us to do? And when we raise support, our whole lives were in the bucket. But now in the same way, our whole lives are still in the bucket. God, it's all yours. Whatever you ask, we'll quickly and simply say, yes, God, I'm in. It's amazing how when you live that way, and we're not perfect, and it's a challenge, and it's hard, and you're like, God, are you sure you're saying that? And he's like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. But I promise you, every time you say yes, he puts his hand on your life. We don't give to get. It's not like I'm twisting his arm. He doesn't put his hand on my life because I give a certain amount. He puts his hand on my life because he knows my heart is his. I think many of us were like, God, would you put your hand on my life? But what he's wondering is, how's your heart? Not about how's your budget and how's your resources, how's your heart? And here's what I believe, God wants to bless not just me or my family, God wants to bless you. And he has great blessings that he gives to good stewards. And so before I pray for you, I wanna make sure we understand how does, what does that mean? How does God bless good stewards? Well, the first thing is he entrusts them with more. Look what this says here, Matthew 25, 21. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. You hear that, you're like, okay, I'm in for that. I'll take some more. Like most people think happiness is just a little bit more. One of the wealthiest men who ever lived, John Rockefeller, they asked him, how much is enough? He said, just a little bit more. We think a little bit more means more significance, more security, more contentment. We think if I can just get a little bit more, I'll have more than enough, and enough so I don't have to be afraid, and then I won't be anxious, and then I won't be worried, but there is no more that's enough to take that away because human beings in our hard wiring, we have this thing that researchers call scarcity brain. Maybe you can relate to this. Your brain is wired to be afraid of not having enough, right? Like, you're like, are you sure, Jed? Well, remember back a few years ago when we got the pandemic and people were fighting over toilet paper? That, that scarcity brain, right? Something triggers in your brain. You're like, uh-oh, there's not gonna be enough. It's like, there, there can be things out and there can be plenty and people can be start hoarding it. Why are they hoarding it? Because they're worried there's not gonna be enough. So what does your brain try to do? Well, your brain is looking for opportunities to make more. Your brain wants opportunities, it wants unpredictable rewards. It likes it if you don't even know, like maybe I'll get a little bit this time, but I'll get even more. And, and then the third thing is, I like being able to, to, to check it over and over and over. You're like, what are you talking about? Well, maybe you've noticed this. A lot of our addictive behaviors, a lot of our checking, a lot of our looking, especially when it comes to our devices, is we check on our stuff. Maybe you pull up your accounts. Maybe, maybe you look at your, your retirement account. How much is in there today? You look at your investment account. How much is in there today? You look at your Zillow. What's my house worth today? We do this in all kinds of things. In fact, it's so common in our brain, they call it gamifying. 
It's the same thing between your 10,000 steps. It's the same thing why some of you now, uh, you know, we see you and the Lord sees you, you're, you're setting your fantasy football rosters because you're checking to see how many points you have on your fantasy team and you're hoping every time I click it, it'll be a little bit more. See, in our brains, we want a little bit more. We want a little bit more. Did you know, I didn't know this. I saw this this week. Another example of this. Did you know that slot machines, I thought slot machines were gone. I didn't know they still had them. Did you know slot machines are legal in 36 states and it's a $30 billion industry? In the U.S. alone, it makes more than movies, books, and music put together, slot machines. Why? Because your brain tells you, just touch the button, just touch the button. Well, you lost last time, but this time you could win. And it's like, maybe, just maybe, somebody's going to win. Why doesn't your brain ever go, man, these casinos are big. A lot of people had to lose to build this thing. But your brain's not, that's not me, some other sucker's going to lose. Press it again, right? Like, your brain thinks, just one more trial, just get a little bit more. But God says, the way you get more is not touching the button or hoarding or trying your own thing. The way you get more is being a good steward, and he gives you more. Now, I will say, when he gives you more, it's not always more resources. Sometimes it's more responsibility. Most times it's more responsibility. Like you're a single person, like, if I could just have more, he brings you a spouse. You thought, man, all my problems will be over. (laughs) Then you and your spouse, you're like, man, our life is marital bliss. What we, we should have more. Let's have a child. And then you bring that child into the mix. And then those kids are young, and they're easy, and they're little, and you're just running around. Everybody's happy. You're like, let's have a few more. And then they become teenagers. And then you think you're done when they're teenagers, and then they become adult kids, and no one tells you that's more because it is. God bless your ministry. And so... Right in the words of the great theologian Christopher Wallace, more money, more problems, right? Like the more you have, the more you're responsible for. But here's what I love about it is God uses more in our lives. We think more means we'll be more significant. We think more means we'll feel more content. We think more means we'll be more successful. But the truth is when God gives us more, it makes us more dependent on God. We have to come back to go, God, this is new. I've never done this before. I don't know what I'm doing. And he's like, I know you don't know what you're doing, but I'm here to help you. Because when I give you more, I don't just give you more and sit back and watch what you'll do with it. I give you more and I enter in more to help you be the good steward I've created you to be. Here's the second thing. He, he, the second way he blesses good stewards. He treats them as partners. McKinney, I want you to think about this. Remember what the message said. Good work. You did your job well. From now on, you'll be my partner. Hazlitt, what would it mean if you were God's partner every day when you showed up at work as a mom, right? Like you're you're making meals and you're cleaning up and you're doing laundry. Could you be God's partner as a mom? You definitely could. Could you be God's partner as a student? Maybe you're watching online and you're like, what would it look like? Whatever situation and season of life, God invites you to partner with him. Now, we like the idea of God partnering with us, but, but we first partner with him, and you're like, what kind of a person makes a good partner? Well, I think some of us get stuck because we don't mean to, but we end up as bad partners. And I thought for a minute, well, what makes someone not a great partner? Well, the first thing I thought about is they're just disengaged. Do you know 88% of our workforce is disengaged? They don't like their job. They don't feel fulfilled. Maybe you've dealt with somebody in this group, and it's like, Do you care about your job? And you could tell they're not going to say this, but it's like, not really. 
And so when you're disengaged and you, don't, you can't connect with what you're doing every day with something more important, you don't make a great partner. The second one is you're a hedonist. Now, that's not a term we use a lot, but hedonism simply means pleasure. It means you only do what you like to do. You only do fun things. You only chase experiences. And there are a lot of people who, their, their idea of partnership with God is, God, can you let me do all the things I want you to do? And that's not, God's not against your enjoyment, but that's not the primary motivation for, his part, for a partnership. The third one is the hoarder. We talked a little bit about them. Hoarder doesn't make a good partner because the hoarder's always worried about not having enough. And you're like, we're not hoarders. But the truth is, if you have storage for your storage, you might have too much stuff. You might be a hoarder. And so when you're always worried about, will I have enough? You know, you know it's back to the scarcity brain. I may need this sometime. And so I'll just keep it. When was the last? If you haven't needed it in 10 years, probably time to let it go. But you hold on to stuff because you're worried. And then the last thing that makes you a bad partner, and this one probably going to surprise you because I know there's a lot of them in the room watching online at Hazlitt and McKinney. A planner makes a bad partner. You're like, doesn't God want us to have a plan? Yeah, you should have a plan. But you should have a plan with an open hand. You're like, does the Bible actually say that? Well, the Bible says it a lot. The Bible says that many are the plans and a man's heart, but the Lord determines their steps. I know in my life, some of the times it's been hardest to obey God is when I come to God and go, God, check it out. He's like, what's up, Jed? That's how he talks to me. And I say, God, check it out. I got a plan. I worked really hard on it. I thought about it a lot. It's a really good plan. You know what he does? He laughs at me. It's like, that's cute, Jed. I really like your plan. Are we going to use it? No, we're never going to use that plan. It's almost like he talks to me like I talked to my dog. Good boy. Good job. Who's a good boy? You're a good boy. And I know it's hard as for me, but a lot of times my plan's the well-intended and well-meaning, and you should have a plan. You should be diligent. You should be disciplined. God's into all that. But the problem is we make our plans bigger than God, and what ends up happening is we're like, God, would you bless what I'm into? And he's like, I want to bless everything in your life. But, but we don't do it by dictating or demanding what he blesses. We come to him and say, God, everything I have is yours. You tell me what you want me to do. And then he puts his hand on our lives. Which brings us to the last way that he blesses us. He shares his joy and his happiness with us. Matthew 25, 21b. Come and share your master's happiness. This is his greatest desire for you. More than your tithe or your offering. He wants, to, he wants those things only because he wants your heart. And if he gets your heart, he knows it's only a matter of time before your heart is filled with what fills his heart. Unending joy, peace that's greater than your circumstances. I was thinking about this this week, and as I was, I'm getting a little bit older, turned 50 this year, I think about the moments in my life, those really big moments. Because really, when you think about those big moments in life, maybe, maybe it's, you know, for you, it's, you're thinking about the day you get married, or maybe, maybe you're thinking about, maybe you're a student and you're thinking about the day you graduate, or you, you think about, man, the day that you have your first child, or, or, or maybe it's you, you get promoted or you own your own business, or, or you own your house, or, or, or whatever that is for you, this big experience, you're like, if I could just get to those moments. And you think about your plans for those moments. I want it to feel like this. I want it to look like this. But when you actually, as you get further along in life, what you realize is all the plans are great, but what you really want more than anything else, when you come to those moments, 
is for the hand of God to be on your life and for you to realize this isn't what I thought it was going to look like. This isn't how I planned it. But man, I sense his peace. I sense his presence. I sense his goodness. He's here with me. I think about walking through those moments with other people. I think about losing my dad. You think about that day. What's it going to feel like? How am I going to get through it? God, would you put your hand on my life on a day like that? I think about being with people in ministry over the years and watching them walk through their highest highs and their lowest lows. The thing that's so great about God's blessing is he puts his hand on all those big days. I'm telling you, you ever been to a wedding where people did it the right way and they honored God and, and they sacrificed and they lived pure and they lived holy. It's not about the flowers. It's not about the venue. But God's hand comes on those moments and everyone there goes, God, you're in this place. You love us. You're good. You could be in a hospital and the baby's born and there might be complications and you, the doctors don't know and you don't know and you're afraid but there's an overwhelming sense that it's going to be okay. How do you know? Because the hand of God is on that moment. That's what it means. His blessing. Yes, it's resources. Yes, it's provision. Yes, he cares about your work. Yes, he cares about your career. But when he wants to bless you, it's so much bigger. And the great thing about God, his hand of blessing doesn't just come on those big moments. It comes on the small moment. The moment you feel all alone. The moment your head hits the pillow and you think, no one knows how I'm feeling and I don't know if I can get through another day. When your heart is turned towards him, in those small moments, his hand comes, rests on you. His goodness, his peace, his presence, soothes your heart like no more from anything else. No experience, no promotion, no raise can bring the peace and the comfort and the blessing that his hand brings to those whose hearts are turned towards him. Let's pray. Jesus, we're so grateful. We sense your hand even now. God, we thank you that everything we have in this life is a gift. We can't good steward our way into a right relationship with Jesus. We can't tithe our way into it. We can't earn it. We can't buy it. It's a gift. Lord, if we never give you anything, you offered your son Jesus. And you said, if he didn't give us, you, you said in your word that the God who gave his only son, would he not give us all things? And so as your people were so grateful, maybe you're here today and you didn't know that was the message of Jesus. Not what we could give to God to try to climb up to him, but that on our lowest day when we were furthest from him, he climbed down to be with us. That's the message of Jesus. So all you have to do is right there in your own words, just say, God, I receive you. I want to know you. Will you enter my life? And he'll hear those words and he'll respond to that prayer and he'll become the Lord of your life. Maybe you've already prayed that prayer, but you just needed a reminder. What does it mean to have your father say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with little things. I want to give you more. Come enter the joy of your master. 
Maybe that joy has escaped you. Maybe that gratitude has escaped you. Maybe that perspective's been off. Right where you're at, you can just say, God, it's all yours. I surrender. I'm in. I'm your partner. Wherever you go, I go. Whatever you do, I want to do. I want to join you in what you're doing. God, I'm praying that each of us would be your partners, your good stewards, and would walk with you and share in your happiness. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Jesus, please don't hesitate to reach out through our website at milestonechurch.com. And if you found this podcast helpful, leave a review on the podcast app or your favorite podcast platform. We hope you have a great week.